You ready to get into the Word? No, no, no. Are, are you ready to get into the Word? Hey? We, we got a Word this morning. This, this one is really important. Most of mine aren't very important, but this one is really important. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. We encourage you to bring your Bibles here. And uh, we are doing this study, going verse by verse throughout the book of Luke. I really like preaching this way. I just, uh, it's just the way to do it. We're actually going to make progress by going forward on, on two verses here this morning. huh? We're going to go two verses beyond where we were at last week. Uh, and after five months, we're already up to verse 46. So let's start there. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And I'm reading from the TNIV version. I want to entitle this message, Your Thoughts, Your Destiny. Your Thoughts, Your Destiny. It says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. We preached about that last week. Now here's the new stuff. His mercy, God's mercy extends to those who fear him or reverence him from generation to generation. <clears throat> he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Now here's the passage I want us to really focus on this morning. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Who are proud in their innermost thoughts. The word there actually, the Greek is cardia, which means heart. Their heart thoughts. Their innermost being thoughts. And God scatters those who are proud in, in the, the, the thoughts that take place in the innermost recesses of their heart. That's what we're going to be focusing on. I want to pray for this message. And I would just like to ask you, you don't have to show hands right now, but I'd like some people, as God leads you, to keep this message covered as it's going forth. Uh, that it would have the full anointing of God. I want to pray for this message. I also want to pray for a few other needs. And uh, we're here together as kingdom people, and we have a kingdom authority in prayer that we can access individually, but we can also access collectively. And the Bible puts an emphasis on that. There's a power in unity and agreement in prayer. So would you all stand and uh, join hands with the person next to you. And as I'm praying, just in your spirit, agree with me. Say amen to what I'm praying. Uh, and and uh, if you want to pray on your own, you can. If you want to pray out loud on your own, you can. As the, as the Lord leads you. But let's just use the authority that God's given to us in the kingdom uh, to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for making us your kingdom people by your grace and for empowering us, God, to uh, rise up and with the power of prayer to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have a remarkable authority in this area. Right now, Lord, we want to use our collective authority in the power of prayer to pray blessing on our children's area, Lord. We pray you'd bring people back there to help out with the kids. We pray that your spirit would be back there in a powerful way, Lord. Anoint those who are teaching our children. Give them wisdom. Give them love. And open up the minds and the hearts of our, of our children in a way that they can understand the gospel on their own level, Lord God. Just be moving over there. Let there be an energy and an excitement and an anointing over in the children's area in Jesus. Jesus' name, we pray. And we pray for our youth, our young people, Lord God. As uh, right this moment, Lord, as they're gathered together, we pray there'd be a fire from heaven that falls on them. Lord God, uh, energize them, revolutionize them, Lord God. Raise up an army of young people who reach their peers for Jesus Christ and who dare to be different and swim upstream in this culture, Lord God. Just bless our youth group. Bless those who are working back there. And Father, we pray blessing on every person who's, who's made an effort to, for this weekend event to come together, Lord. We pray for our, our custodial staff and our building maintenance crew, Lord God, for taking care of this building and for doing the things necessary for this to happen. Bless them, Lord. And bless the ushers, Lord God. Just pour out your love upon them and, and the greeters and, and other people who have been instrumental in bringing about this, this weekend service. We pray blessing on them. Father, in Jesus' name, we together agree uh, as we go before you that, that there'd be power released from heaven right this minute on all who have physical ailments in this auditorium, Lord. Let your healing power flow, Lord God. Lord God, be, be curing back problems and leg problems and hip problems, Lord God. Uh, Lord, just let your healing power flow on a physical level in this auditorium right now. And Father, we together as kingdom people unite in coming before you to pray blessing on our marriages. 
Lord God, we pray for all marriages that are struggling right now. We all go through seasons like that. But Lord, we just pray that you'd pour out your love and pour out your perseverance on all couples in this auditorium and who are even listening on the radio right now. Lord, who are struggling, Lord God, just surround them with your love. Help them to work through the issues that are there, Lord God. Lord, we pray for uh, this passage as it goes forward, Lord, as this message as it goes forward. God, let it have your authority, your anointing, to accomplish all that you will, Lord. Our trust isn't in human eloquence. It means nothing. It's not in human wisdom. It means nothing. It's not in human power. It means nothing. Our eyes are upon you, and our trust is in you. And so we pray, Lord God, that your power would land on this message right here. Open up our minds and open up our hearts. Open up our lives that we may leave here more thoroughly saturated with the kingdom than we were when we came here, Lord. Let it be done. Let it be done. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. There really is an authority on corporate prayer. That's why in the Bible you find people all the time gathering together people to pray. And um, so we just are going to be doing that on occasion here. This passage has got so much that's interesting in it uh, and, and really necessary. The, the, I want you really to be, stay, be tuned in on this because what I'm going to be talking about is about as fundamental and as uh, central to uh, kingdom development as anything could be. For some of you, some of this will be review, but it's stuff we need reminding of. For others, it will be altogether new. But Holy Spirit, help us to pay attention to what's going to be said here in the next half hour. Notice here in this passage that God scattered a people group based on their innermost thoughts. It wasn't based on their deeds. It wasn't based on their appearance. It wasn't based on anything that pertains to performance. It was based on the fact that the innermost thoughts of these people was proud. Uh, these people apparently, whoever the, the specific group that Luke has in mind, uh, these people apparently uh, just saw themselves as superior to other people. There are people like that on this planet. Uh, whether it's because of their social class or because of their race or because of their intelligence or their educational level, uh, because of the property they own, because of the country they come from, whatever. They just saw themselves in the innermost recesses of their heart as being above other people. All people are created equal except for me. <laughs> I'm a little bit above the rest. There are people like that. Uh, and God scattered them on the basis of that. Their innermost thoughts were proud. They may have looked humble. They may have talked humble. Because appearances can sometimes be deceiving. Sometimes people, precisely because they're proud, they conceal it with a false humility. But God sees the innermost heart of, of people, and it's on that basis that God responded to them by scattering them abroad. We look on the outside of people, but God looks on the inside. We see appearances, but God sees what's really going on in the heart thinking, on the innermost thinking of a person's heart. Uh, the, the, the thought that he's talking about here is the thought, it's what you think about when you're not thinking about what you think about. It's the innermost heart uh, thinking. It's, it's the autopilot of our brain, what you think about when you're not thinking about what you think about. God sees that, and it is the main directive of our life. God sees it, but no one else does. So it says this in 1 Samuel. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is why human beings can never judge another human being. We can discern behavior. We can separate behavior, healthy behavior from unhealthy behavior and things of that sort. But we can never separate people. We can never separate ourselves from another. We can never judge them or feel superior to them because we don't see the innermost recesses of the heart and appearances can be deceiving. But God is the one judge of the earth. He's the only one who's omniscient, who sees all things, and one of the things he sees is the innermost recesses of a person's heart. And it's on that basis that he responds to people. God cares far more about what you think. When you're thinking thoughts, and you're not thinking about what you're thinking about. God cares much more about the conversation that occurs in an automatic kind of way between your ears than he does about how you look, than he does about how you appear. Everything in life, the quality of our life, the direction of our life is found in the conversation that takes place between our ears. So the principle I want us to really get here this morning, it is so crucial, is that what you think, when you're thinking thoughts and you're not thinking about what you're thinking about, what you think on a moment-by-moment -moment basis is far more important than what you do in life 
and then how you appear in life. It's what takes place between the ears that steers. <laughs> I can't keep it up. I came with that yesterday. Okay, it's lame, but you'll remember it. What takes place between the ears in the autopilot, the automatic thought, the auto-think of your brain that steers the entire course of your life. And so it says in Proverbs 23 that as a person thinks, so are they. According to the New American Standard, as a person thinks, so are they. Your identity is most uh, crucially solidified in the conversation between your ears. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Guard your heart, for out of it flows the springs of life. The direction of your life, the issues of life, how you respond to circumstances, comes out of the thought that takes place in the innermost recesses of your heart. This is so crucial. One person I read said this, Every stream has a source, and every mountain has a base, and every deed has a thought. Thought is to deeds what a base is to a mountain. It holds it up. Thought is to deeds what a source is to a stream. The stream can't carry anything that the source doesn't give it. So also, your thought, your innermost thought, is the foundation for everything in your life. Everything you do and how you appear is, if it's relevant at all, it's relevant as a sort of reflection of what is going on in the inside of you. You become your innermost thoughts. As you think, so you are. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your thought. And so the question I want us to be wrestling with here this morning is this. What do you think about when you're not thinking about what you think about? What is the conversation that occurs in an automatic kind of way between your ears? What is the content of your brain? Now, I I, want to be balanced on this. I think I have at times shied away from the centrality of our thought and of our spoken words because there are groups that sometimes push this to an extreme way, in an unbiblical way. They take the biblical truth that our internal words and our external words are the main directive of our life, and they push it to a kind of magical extreme where they say things like, if you think healthy thoughts, then you will always be healthy, and if you think wealthy thoughts, you'll always be wealthy, and they create a kind of Pollyanna Christianity where, where they just want to be positive by ignoring the reality of the world and, and, and things of that sort, and I don't want to do anything to endorse that. But at the same time, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because it really is the case that a central biblical truth is that the words we say to ourselves in our mind and the words we speak are the main criteria or the main factor that directs our life, that determines the quality of our life. This is why God, throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, puts an absolute premium on our inner thoughts, on controlling our inner thoughts, We, in our culture, put very little emphasis on that. We're much more impressed by what other people can see. Our our consciousness is more geared towards the public sector. But God is telling us that it's what goes on in the conversation between your ears that no one can see. That's the main determiner of the quality of our life. And God puts a real premium on that and stresses the importance of kingdom people to take control of our thoughts and to guard our thoughts. So, for example, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds over and over again. Why? So that you may discern what is the will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now the word that Paul uses there for discern is dokomazo, which means to test, to experience, to discern, or to prove for yourself, to experience for yourself. And so what Paul is saying there is this. The key to experiencing for yourself the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is the transformation of your mind. It's guarding and taking control of your innermost thoughts, the conversation that goes on in the core of your being, uh, what you think about when you're not thinking about what you think about. Everything hangs on this. I want to break this passage down a, a, a little further. I'll say three things about it. Number one, 
The passage assumes, as we sang about this morning, and I had not talked to Norm at all about what my message was going to be about, but, but every song we sang was a direct prelude to this message. The passage assumes that God does have a will for your life, a good will for your life, an acceptable will for your life, a, a perfect will for your life. Uh, You've got to understand that Jesus Christ died for you. And that means that God's stance towards you is 100% positive. God is for you, not against you. As he says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. It's to bless you. It's not to curse you. God is 100% for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to raise you up. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to use you in his kingdom. He wants your life to be significant. Uh, He wants your life to take on meaning. He wants you to be walking in the joy and the peace and the power of the kingdom. That's God's will for your life. He's got a good will for you, an acceptable will, a perfect will for you. Now, I don't believe that that means that God has an eternal plan, which if you get off track of that one eternal plan, one blueprint for your life, then your life's going to be somewhat screwed up from then on. There are people who believe that, that God has a plan locked in from all eternity, and if you get off track, you're forever you know, sort of screwed up. I don't believe that. Nor do I believe that this means that God has an eternal plan for our life, uh, which is a blueprint about, about how things have to go, as though everything that happens to us is part of God's plan for our life. There are people who believe that. But if you believe that, you have to say that, that uh, the 70,000 people who were just killed in that earthquake in Pakistan, that that was God's good and acceptable and perfect will for their life. I don't think so. Or that the child who was kidnapped, or the marriage that just fell apart, or the cancer that you just found out that you have, or any other catastrophe in, in world history, that that's part of God's good and acceptable and perfect plan for your life. That's not what the passage means. What the passage does mean, however, and this is so crucial, is that whatever happens to you, Whatever you've done and whatever's been done to you, however screwed up your circumstances might be, however much of the devil your circumstances might be, however much this warfare has just slimed you, uh, whatever circumstance you're in, right here, right now, God has a good and acceptable and perfect will for your life in terms of how he can use that to your advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. Amen. We need to understand that God is, as I always say, God is infinitely intelligent which means that from all eternity, God has anticipated perfectly every possible thing that could ever happen and therefore has a plan in place for every possible thing that could happen. And so however bad, however gross, however ugly, however imperfect that thing that happened to you may be, God has got a a good and acceptable and perfect will for your life in terms of responding to it. It was not God's will that you had the divorce, but now that you're divorced, God's got a good and acceptable and perfect will for your life on how to respond to that divorce. It's not God's will that you can't find a job, but God has got a plan in place on how to use that sorry situation to your advantage and to his advantage. It's not God's will. It's just part of the the demonic war zone that we're in, that you're dealing with the physical ailments or the emotional ailments that, that you're struggling with right now. That may not be God's will, but what is God's will is he's got a perfect, good, and acceptable plan on how to use that to your advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. The relationship struggles that you're going in and and the situation of the world, a lot of things happen that are not of God. In fact, they're of the devil or of the wills of of, of evil people. And that's not part of God's perfect and good and acceptable plan. But in all things, in all circumstances, God's got right now for you a good and acceptable and perfect plan for your life. The bottom line is this, whatever the circumstances may be, however grotesque and painful they may be, you've got to know that God is bigger than the circumstance, he's smarter than the circumstance, he's more powerful than the circumstance, so we can use the circumstance to his advantage. He's got a will for your life. Now, the, the, the key, the key to experiencing for yourself what that perfect plan is, is the transformation of your mind. This is my second point. The key to experiencing for yourself, proving for yourself, that in this dire situation, there is a good and acceptable and perfect will for you. The key to entering into that and experiencing that and walking in that is the transformation of your mind. What's going on in your thoughts? What do you think about when you're not thinking about what you think think about? That is the crucial area. Is your heart thinking, your, your, your cardiac thinking, your innermost thinking, is it aligned with the truth that is found in Christ, or is it conformed to the pattern of this world, which leads to my third point. The, the thing that we're up against here is the, what, what Paul calls the pattern of this world. And he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. 
He, the Greek is suschematizo. The word schema is found in there, to be conformed to a schema, which can be translated matrix. This is why I like that movie, The Matrix, so much. And I use the Matrix metaphor so much. Did a whole series a couple years ago on, on The Matrix. Wrote a book on The Matrix. The Matrix is the pattern of lies that, 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 that uh, is established in this world that is oppressed by the enemy. The, the pattern of this world is the lies that we've internalized through our upbringing and through the culture, the things that have been said to us, the things we say to ourselves, the things we've internalized, the messages that we've internalized about who we are and about who God is and about what life is all about. Uh, that's the pattern of this world. Uh, the pattern of this world influences how our neurons fire, how our organic computer between our, our, our brain fires. And it sets the autopilot for our thinking. It's, it, it determines that what we think about when we're not thinking about what we think about is largely untrue stuff, stuff that disagrees with God. And so what, what Paul is saying is, don't let the world program you. Don't let mom or dad program you. Don't let the culture program you. Don't let the media program you. Don't let past experience program you. Rather, you program you and do it in conformity to the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew means you go over and over and over and over and over again. You make it new, you make it new, you make it new. You re-again new, again new, again new, again new. Every day, hundreds of times a day, we make a decision as to whether we're going to indulge a pattern of the world thought or whether we're going to turn it to a kingdom of God thought. And whether you're going to experience for yourself the good and acceptable and perfect will of God hangs in the balance, depending on whether or not you indulge the pattern of the world thought or you indulge the kingdom thought. The transformation of the mind lays at the foundation of everything. This is the center of all transformation. You can fast all you want, and that's a good thing to do. I encourage you to do that. But it will not, re it will not fundamentally change the quality and direction of your life Unless, the way, unless your auto-think has been changed, unless your innermost thought patterns have been changed. You can pray all you want, and I encourage us to do that. But even that, as necessary as that is, it unleashes a power from heaven for sure. But it will not fundamentally change the direction and quality of your life unless your auto-think has been changed, unless your innermost thoughts have been changed. And you can make all the vows you want, all the pledges that you want. People do it all the time. And it will do you absolutely zero good, accepted so far, as it results in a moment-by-moment -moment change of how you think, of what you think about when you're not thinking about what you're thinking about. Over and over again, hundreds of times a day, we make this crucial decision. It's the most important decision we make. On what is our mind going to dwell? What will be the content of the automatic think that is perpetually going on in our brain? This is, as kingdom people, one of our main uh, responsibilities. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the most important area to start being a follower is in your think. It's in your moment-by-moment -moment thought to surrender your brain to Jesus Christ. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about right here. This is the center of everything. God scatters people based on their innermost thoughts, but he also gathers people based on their innermost thoughts. Whether you... Uh, experience for yourself the good, acceptable, and perfect plan of God for your life, or whether you don't experience, depends most fundamentally on your innermost thoughts. Whether you experience the outrageous love of God coming to you or through you, or whether you suppress that, hangs upon your innermost thoughts. Not at what you do, not on how you look, it hangs on your innermost thoughts. That domain in your life that no one else sees but you and God. Whether the life of God is suppressed in your experience or whether it's unleashed in your experience hangs upon your innermost thoughts. Whether you experience for yourself, uh, whether you discern, whether you walk in the joy and the peace and the power of God or whether your life is vacant of those things hangs on this one thing. What's going on between your ears on a moment-by-moment -moment basis? The question is, is, are you aware of your innermost thoughts? Are you controlling your innermost thoughts? Are you guarding your heart thoughts? Or are you just letting the pattern of the world dictate your thoughts? Because if whoever controls the neurons controls the life, that's the principle. 
And if the world's controlling your neurons, if past experience is controlling your neurons, if the message of the culture is controlling your neurons, if voices from the past are controlling your neurons, your life will be nothing more than a pathetic footnote to those voices and that media and the rest of the pattern of this world. Do you want to be someone else's footnote? Don't. You don't need to be. God calls us to make Christ Lord of our life and therefore Lord of our brain and therefore Lord of every thought. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What goes on in your innermost thoughts determines whether you're going forward in life or whether you're going backward in life. It determines whether or not you can say authentically that the best days are yet to come and you ain't seen nothing yet or if your life is, has a, the kind of feeling of uh, the best days are already gone and things are just going to get worse and worse. How you live, how you experience life will hang upon your innermost thoughts. All growth is a matter of transforming our innermost thoughts. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells the Ephesians to put away their former way of life. Put off your old self that's corrupt. It's diluted by its, its, its lust or its desires. But rather be renewed. There's that word again. In the spirit, or it could be translated, the attitude of your minds. And clothe yourselves with a new self. This new self has been created. It's already there. It's been created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying, and it's just like he's reiterating what he said in Romans chapter 12. That we're to put off our old self and put on our new self. And the way we do it is by renewing our minds. Renewing the attitude or the spirit of our minds. You transition from that old carnal self to a new godly self by renewing your mind, by changing your innermost thoughts. You'll transition from the petty person you used to be to the, to the, to the profound, mature person that God knows you, you can be and that you're created to be in Christ Jesus. You'll transition from the old into the new based on the transformation of your innermost thoughts. You'll, you'll put off that old, cynical, negative self that always saw the worst and put on that new self that walks in love and believes all things and hopes all things. That transition will happen by and only by the transformation of our mind, the renewing of our mind, the changing of our innermost thoughts. You'll go from being that old, self-serving, manipulative person to a person who lives in service to others and knows the joy of serving others. You'll make that transition by the transformation of your innermost thoughts. You'll go from being a person who automatically, instinctively files people according to their race to a person who delights in the diversity of God's creation. You'll make that transition by the transformation of your innermost thoughts. Everything is found in the innermost thoughts, the renewing of your mind. This isn't just a truth of Scripture, though it is certainly that, but it's a truth of neuroscience. Neurologically, we now know this. It is impossible Given how human beings are made, it is impossible for your brain to be going in one direction and for your life to go in a different direction. Your life will always line up with your inner think, your autopilot, the conversation that's, that's going on between your ears. Your, your words, external and internal, James says in James 3, is the rudder of a ship. You turn the rudder, you turn the whole ship. You wouldn't think that words were that important, but the Bible says they really are. It's impossible for you to be going, your life to be going in a different trajectory than what is stipulated by your internal think. You may want to be happy. Undoubtedly, you do want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. But if all day long, you, without even knowing about it, are just playing miserable tapes in your head, the internal conversation is all negative, it is impossible for you to be happy. Your internal conversation is guaranteeing that you will not be happy. And you can go to all the therapists in the world and read all the self-help books in the world and whatnot, but unless you change that internal conversation, you're in a prison of misery. The good news is that you don't have to stay there because God has empowered us to take authority over our internal think. You can want a good marriage and wish for a good marriage, but if all day long your internal conversation is trashing your wife or trashing your husband, it is impossible for you to move forward in having a good marriage. It just can't happen. Biblically, it can't happen, and neurologically, it can't happen. But the good news is you can change your internal think. You may wish that you were successful at your job and successful in relationships and successful in life, but if you're giving authority to all those old pattern-of-the-world matrix tapes to keep on telling you what a failure you are and how you sabotage things, if that's what's going on in the autopilot of your brain on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, it is impossible for you to succeed in life. You may get a lucky break now and then, but very quickly your life will go back to its old rut. Doing, you live out 
You live out your internal think. As a person thinks, so are they. It's a biblical truth. It's a neurological truth. You may wish that you could live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. You may wish you could be the outrageous lover that the kingdom calls us to be. But if all day long you automatically are judging people left and right and running a gossip commentary in the inner recesses of your brain, doesn't matter that no one else hears that, doesn't matter that you even refrain from saying that with your lips, so that's a good thing. But if your internal conversation is all about judgment, it is impossible, physiologically, neurologically, and biblically impossible for you to experience the outrageous love of God coming to you and coming through you. Life, the quality of your life, is determined by the conversation that takes place between your ears. Here's another way of saying it. Holy Spirit, just set this thing on fire. Ah. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble. In fact, I want to say that. Whatever is true, say true. true. Whatever is noble. noble. Whatever is right. right. Whatever is pure. pure. Whatever is lovely. lovely. Whatever is admirable. admirable. If anything is excellent, excellent. or praiseworthy. Now everybody, think about such things. Paul tells us what to think about. We have the ability to determine what we think about, and Paul tells us here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what we're to think about. Not on occasion, here and there. Once a week, make sure that you turn positive. No, he's, t- he's talking about our, our innermost thoughts. What, what, what our think is doing when we're not thinking about what we're thinking about. We can state this negatively. Listen up. If it's false, don't think about it. If it's base, don't think about it. If it's wrong, don't think about it. If it's impure, don't think about it. If it's ugly, don't think about it. If it's disgusting, don't think about it. If it's mediocre, don't think about it. If it's shameful, don't think about it. Rather, think about what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, what's excellent and praiseworthy. What Paul is simply saying here in layman's terms is, get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of the rut. Quit being conformed to the pattern of the world. Start taking authority over what you think. Turn your mind. Have intentionality about your, your, your innermost thought. Now, I guarantee you that there's somebody here who's saying in their innermost thought right now, blah, 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 blah. Because <laughs> you've been neurologically conditioned by the pattern of this world to whenever anyone talks like this, you hear Stuart Smalley saying, I'm good enough, I'm, by golly, I'm smart enough, and people like me. Uh, you know, and, and the devil just uses that to keep you from entering into the truth that could change your life. In fact, the only truth that really can change your life. I encourage you to collapse that word right now. I'm not talking pop psychology. I'm talking the word of God. This is biblical truth. If pop psychology happens to get it right once in a while, good for them. But I'm not talking out of that authority. I'm talking out of the authority of the word. Some people here, I guarantee you, are, are, are thinking to themselves, Oh, yeah, that's easy for you to say because your life's going rosy and wonderful. And, you know, and they, probably everyone else in this auditorium, their life is going rosy and wonderful. But you don't understand my circumstances. Oh, in fact, this feels insensitive because you're not entering into the pain of my circumstances. My circumstances are so bad. There's no way that anyone could possibly, even God wouldn't expect us to have, you know, lovely, happy, noble, admirable thoughts in a circumstance like mine. My husband ignores all my needs. My wife nags me to death. My kids are rebellion. My job is an absolute bore. The, the church that I go to, the preacher just sucks. My car is breaking down. The garage door is not working. People are driving me crazy. The people I work with are so petty and ornery. They're driving me crazy. And haven't you looked at the world, lady? Bird flu is going to kill everybody, folks. And, and, and earthquakes are coming. And hurricanes all over the place. And the economy is going downhill. And everything's miserable. And everything's bad. How oh, you can talk to me about being happy? Ah. Yeah. I'm telling you. Look at get this. Paul, when he's writing this, he ain't living in some mansion somewhere drinking his martini. <laughs> Paul is in prison. And prison back in those days, you know, we're not like prisons today. Now the prisons today aren't, aren't you know, wonderful, but compared to the prisons back then, uh, they're four-star hotels. Paul's been put in prison. Paul's been beaten a number of times. Paul, Paul's gone through some real hardship. He's sitting there in prison, and he's facing likely execution. For a totally unjust reason, he's being uh, persecuted because of his faith. He's sitting in prison. The prisons are dark. They're damp. There's rats. If he gets fed at all, the food is absolutely terrible. The guards, their entertainment was, was mocking and, and, and abusing the prisoners. So Paul is in a bad, bad situation. On top of all of that, he tells us that all of his friends had left him. All of his innermost comrades had left him except for Luke. He, he's down to one friend on this planet. 
Facing the end of his life, yeah, he set up a couple of churches, but you read the epistles, and most of them were struggling pretty bad. You can't really be too proud of the church of Corinth now, can you? You know, and so he would have a lot of reasons for being absolutely miserable, feeling dejected. Why, God, where are you? And you promised me. But the book of Philippians is, I would argue, the most joyful book in the Bible. Read it. It's got joy all over it, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Paul's in prison when he's talking like that. It's, it's in this book that Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm, I'm in to be content. I, I, I'm content here. He, 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 in the midst of that, he, 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 he tells us what to think about. And he himself is practicing what he preaches, which is how he can write this incredibly joyous book in the midst of absolutely dire circumstances. What Paul knew is that you don't, you, you, you often can't determine your circumstances, but you can, and you must determine your response to those circumstances. And the quality of your life is determined by that response, and that response is simply the story you tell yourself in response to circumstances, the conversation that goes on in your, between your ears in response to circumstances. Victor Frankl, a great writer, uh, wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. He was a survivor of uh, Auschwitz, and he says this, and he, he went through the nightmare of all nightmares. He says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. Even the Nazi guards couldn't take this away from him. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's way. To choose your attitude in any given set of circumstances is to choose your way. Your way is nothing over and above what you choose to do in response to circumstances. And that's all about... what. What's going on in, the, in your innermost thought? What's going on in your auto-think? What conversation do you have in response to situations? Some people, I guarantee you, are saying to themselves, you know, but, but look, at this is just who I am. I've always been this way. I, you know, I, 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 I just have the gene. I, I see the glasses half empty. That's, I, I, I've always been kind of negative. I've always been kind of, I look at a situation and I immediately see what's wrong. That's just who I am. I, I've, I've never been a real positive person. My, my, my mom wasn't a positive person. My grandmother wasn't a positive person. In fact, no one in my family lineage since Adam has been a positive person. We're just negative. We got the gene for negativity and that's just who I am. And I can even understand that because my family line is, is, is a little bit like that. My dad was a pretty miserable, complaining, curmudgeon type of person. Except for the last 10 years of his life when, when, when he actually had something to complain about. He starts losing his eyesight, starts losing his hearing, has 10 strokes, ends up in a wheelchair, blind and deaf, and, and he actually was positive in life. But before that, he was miserable. He had the gene. I inherited the gene. His mother, my grandmother, who I took care of in a nursing home for, for some time, was the only person in history that I know of who actually dared to say, Job had it easy compared to me. I'm serious. <laughs> Don't tell me. This, this was, a, this was a, a, a hypochondriac on ecstasy or something. I mean, she was, she, she was in a competition with the rest of the world on who could be the sickest. And I don't doubt that in a fallen world, some people are born more with a gene to see the negative and, and raised in an environment where you're conditioned to see the negative. But I want to tell you this. Lock this in. The phrase, that's just who I am. God loves you just as you are, so praise God for that. But that doesn't mean that God loves uh, everything about the way you are right now. And when you say, that's just who I am, you are locking, you are guaranteeing that that's who you will always be. Uh, that is a lie out of the pit of hell. I got sweat in my eye and it's burning. Oh, life is so miserable. Let's be negative here. <laughs> that's a lie out of the pit of hell. That's just who, that maybe is who you were, but if you name the name of Christ, that's not who you are now. Put off that old self. Put on that new self. Be renewed in your mind. You used to be old and cynical and negative and miserable and naggy and complaining and gossipy. That's who you used to be. But if you think that's who you are now, then you're just condemning yourself to go on that way. But God's got a better life for you. That's not God's good and acceptable and perfect will for your life. No, that's, that's not good. That's ugly. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And that's far from perfect. But God's got a good and acceptable and perfect plan for your life. But you'll only walk in that, experience it for yourself, discern it, if you change the internal conversation in your head, and you have the power to do that, it would make no sense for the Bible to tell us how we're supposed to think if we don't have power over what we think. We do have power over what we think. And the direction of our life and the quality of our life is, is, is decided by what we decide to do with that. We can be volitional and intentional by the innermost thought in our life, 
Or we can just go ahead and surrender that over to mom and dad, the media, and all the rest of the sources that infused our brain with lies. Make the choice. But you make it hundreds of times a day. Let me close by just summarizing four points. Just so you lock this in. Summarize four points. Number one, you do choose your thoughts. Uh, we don't think we do because we think so many thoughts and, and we do it on autopilot. But you do choose your thoughts, which means, among other things, this. Don't blame your circumstances. Now, again, Paul's not saying, no one's saying we should ignore our circumstances. But we shouldn't let our circumstances determine the conversation that goes on in our head. You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose your response to your circumstances. If, however, you blame your circumstances for how miserable you are, how negative you are, how cynical you are, etc., etc., then there is no hope for you to transcend those circumstances. It's a diabolical lie when we, when we, when we give the external world authority to determine our internal world. Christ alone should have that authority, and he tells us what to think. I just read it. Don't let your circumstances determine whether or not you're going to think about what is lovely and good and noble and true and things of that sort. Uh, rather, rather uh, let Christ determine that. You see, some people actually feel, some people actually feel profound for being miserable. Uh, they think happy people are, uh, are just kind of Pollyanna, you know, they're shallow. And, and so uh, one sign that I feel the world so deeply is that I'm always miserable because I am one of the few people who really understand the pain of this world. That's not being profound. Uh, you're just being conformed to the pattern of this world. It's easy to feel miserable in, the, in this world. The question is this. See, you don't do the world any good by feeling miserable for it. Yes, we must look at the circumstances and feel the pain of the world. I got that. But to be any good to the world, we've got to have a source that transcends the world, and the source is Jesus Christ. Let him determine your thought. Bring something to the world. Offer the world something different. You choose your thoughts on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Secondly, memorize the truth of Scripture. Uh, just take the word and start, start reprogramming your brain. Start reconditioning your brain. Uh, start, start getting out of the pattern of this world, the matrix of this world, and start being renewed in your mind. Take the truth of Scripture. We, we've got some uh, uh, paper in the back on, on the visitor's table. It, it, it's a sheet that just has your identity in Christ. Take that and just start to, to internalize it. Start to think it. Uh, uh, post it on your doorway. Put it over the toilet seat. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your car mirror. Uh, wherever you go, put, put truths of who you are. Because see, making a promise right now, okay, I'm going to change my thinking, will do you absolutely no good. What matters is what you do on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Take the truth of who God is and the truth of who you are and the truth of what's going on in this life and start to put that in your brain. Start to recondition your brain. Uh, at, when you're driving uh, on the highway, when you're mowing the lawn, uh, you know, when, 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 you're, when you're just sitting down with the family, when you're, when you're, when you're uh, fixing the garage door, when you're going to the bathroom, when you're walking down the hall, when you're going out to your car, be thinking to yourself, I know who I am in Christ, that, that, that God is sovereign. He's got a plan in everything. He's working together for, for the better, for those who love the Lord, and I love the Lord. I'm filled with the power of God. I've got the peace that passes understanding. I've got a joy unspeakable. The peace and love and the power of God flow through me right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the, I got a wellspring of life flowing out of me. All that's biblical truth. Now, whether you experience that or not will depend on whether you're internalizing it or not. What is your automatic think? The way to experience the truth is to change the automatic pilot between your ears. Number three, this is a 24-7 job, as I just said. You know, most people who make uh, New Year's Eve resolutions don't follow through on it. There's a study done on that I read a couple of years ago. Uh, like within three months, 90% are back to whatever it is they vowed not to go back to. And the reason is this, because what you vow on New Year's Eve doesn't matter. It's what you think uh, on the morning of January 1st and then on the morning of January 2nd and so on. That's what matters. Uh, if you don't change the conversation between your ears, then, then, then you're simply not going to change. It's just not going to change. This is a 24-7 job. Your brain is always percolating thoughts. The question is, is the content of that automatic percolation something you've chosen? Or did the ex-husband choose it, the mom choose it, the grandma choose it, the accident choose it, and the pattern of this world choose it? I'm encouraging you to choose it, but you choose it a hundred times a day. Train yourself to catch non-kingdom thoughts. 
And when you catch those thoughts, just collapse them and turn it to kingdom thoughts. This is obeying Philippians 4.8. When there's a thought there, you just say, is that, is that consistent with the kingdom or not? And if it's not consistent, just collapse it. You can train your brain to tag the non-kingdom thoughts so that they serve you as reminders to turn to kingdom thoughts. I've testified about this before, but for the last nine years I've been doing this practice. It's been so liberating. That whenever I, uh, now I, I, I notice more and more whenever I'm having a thought about a person that's not consistent with the one truth that I'm, co- I'm commanded to live in, and that's that Jesus died for them. If there's any kind of judgment going on, any kind of internal gossip going on, now my brain automatically tags it, it thanks the thought, getting mad at it won't do any good. You thank the thought for reminding you about what your one job in life is, and then I just turn to start blessing the person and loving the person, and I agree with God that that person was worth dying for. What I see doesn't matter. What they say doesn't matter. How they treat me doesn't matter. What matters is what God did for them, and my one job and your one job as a kingdom person is to agree with God about that and to manifest that in how we think and what we say and what we do in relationship to all other people. You can train your brain to catch the non-kingdom thoughts and transition them to kingdom thoughts. That's what the Bible means in, in Proverbs 23 when it says guard your heart, or, or, or Proverbs 4, guard your heart, guard it. Stand guard over that heart, the innermost conversation. Notice what you think about, especially when you're, what you think about when you're not thinking about what you think about, and change it. And the fourth point is, once again, I just say, fix your eyes on the truth that is in Christ, the truth of who you are and what's going on in the world in Christ, not on your circumstances. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on this earth. Here we are, told what to think again. Set your mind. He's not saying ignore your circumstances. God doesn't need a bunch of people who are going, la, 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 the world's a wonderful place because I don't look at all the bad stuff. I just look at the positive stuff. No, we got to look at the bad stuff eyeball to eyeball. But what Paul is saying is that there is a truth that transcends circumstances. And whether or not you're going to be any good in bringing the kingdom to your sorry circumstances depends on whether or not you're tapping into that truth that transcends all circumstances. There is a lot of garbage in this world. Personally, I think Louis Armstrong was exaggerating when he's saying it's a beautiful world. It it is beauty in the world, but this world is one screwed up mess. Has anyone noticed that? I mean, really, there's always reasons to be miserable and cynical. Just yesterday morning, I read in the paper, uh, oh, this bugs me. Uh, You know, they got all these new iPods where you can download, like, like little movies, and, uh, uh, what's happening now is that the pornographers, those good old guys, are now marketing pornography to kids with iPods. So they can get, kind of bypass the parents. So now you got little kids walking on these iPods, and, and they're watching pornography. And, boy, it makes you mad. There's a reason to be miserable and cynical and angry and ticked off. And, and, and then, then, you know, you, you got all the other stuff that's going on. Like I said before, the job that you just lost or the job you can't get or the chronic back pain that you got or the hurricanes that are coming or the earthquakes that are slamming us or the accidents that you're going through or friends that are going through that are leaving people unable to walk and the global warming that's going to drown the whole earth and the poverty that keeps on going on and the racial stuff that keeps on going on and the AIDS that's killing so many people and, and all the petty people that you got to put up with and waste your time. And it's so easy to be miserable. That's why so many people do it. Just fix your eyes on that. Fix your mind on that, and it's, it's guaranteed just to make you miserable. Now, you've got to look at that, because we're supposed to bring the kingdom to all of that. But don't let that determine your think. Don't let that determine the autopilot of, 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 of your life. If your mind is fixed on that, I guarantee you, it's impossible for you not to be other than miserable and a complaining person and a cynical person and a negative person. You guys, look at I've got to wrap this up, but here's how, here's how I'll wrap it up. Life is an inkblot test. You know those inkblot tests that the therapist puts out? Uh, I'm sure we've all seen them in the therapist's office. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and uh, the, you know, wh- tell me what you see when you see this inkblot. And then, you know, you say, it's my mother again, once again. Uh, well, the whole point of those inkblots is that, that, you know, what you see is more a reflection, much more a reflection of what's going on between your ears than what's on the inkblot. Life is an inkblot test. Everything is an inkblot. Everything's an inkblot. It's, it's ambiguous. Uh, what you see is a reflection of the lens that you're wearing when you look at it. Now, the inkblot of life is largely miserable. We all have, have circumstances. Some of our circumstances are nightmarish. And, and if yours aren't nightmarish, there's plenty of other people who are. You know, you, you look at the Pakistan, you look at the world system, you look at what's going on in this world, and, and the inkblot is a pretty ugly inkblot. But I... 
I, I, I encourage you to do this. This is an application of Colossians chapter 3, the verse we just read. To set your mind on Christ is not to ignore the inkblot, but it's to surround the inkblot with Christ. To see the world in the context of Jesus Christ. God is above it. God is below it. God is in it. God is working at all times and all places. There ain't no possibility that happened that God didn't have a plan in place to somehow weave it into a beautiful tapestry. God is still sovereign in this world, and though there's a lot of things in this war zone that take place that he does not will, they never can outsmart his will. He's anticipated. He's got a plan in place. No matter what's happening in all situations at all times, however gross it may be, God's got a good and an acceptable and perfect will for you and for this world, and in the end God wins and the devil loses and that's good news and that's why amen and that's why I can look at this world and I can I can have a hope I can have a hope and I can have a faith and I can walk in love because it's not based on the ink blot itself it's based on Jesus Christ uh, kingdom people should be the one people on this planet who in a non-shallow way are optimistic <laughs> Well, after you can look at the world optimistic. I can look at every person with hope because love believes all things and hopes all things. I know who God is. I know what's going on in this world. I know the mustard seed is growing. I know the mustard seed kingdom cannot lose. I know that God is still working in me. I know that however bad things may get, however negative they may appear, God's in this situation and can turn it to my advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. How can I not be optimistic? But see, whether I and whether you experience for ourselves that good and acceptable and perfect will hangs on what goes on moment by moment in the three and a half pounds of gray matter between your ears. It really, really does. Take your thoughts captive to Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be, be a disciple of the brain. Turn your thought, your mind, to Jesus Christ. Catch those non-kingdom thoughts, that gossip in your brain, that negativity, uh, and, and, and turn it to Jesus Christ, surrender it to Jesus Christ. It may feel odd at first, because you're so used to doing it the other way. Of course it will feel odd. You're creating new neural nets. Uh, let it feel odd. So what? Paul doesn't say when it feels natural, think on good things. No, he says, think, think on what's lovely, beautiful, and true. Whether you're in the mood or not, think on these things. Whether things are going well or not, think on these things. Well, whether it feels normal or not, think on these things and see what you're doing is you're creating a new normal. The normal that's in Christ. The normal that now sees the inkblot against the canvas of the sovereignty of God where he wins and all that opposes him will eventually lose. Oh, Lord, help us to lock this in. I'm going to close with a final prayer. Maybe just a final declaration. I don't know. But I want you to know this, that uh, when we're done, the uh, front of the auditorium is open and you can come forward. I encourage you to come forward for any prayer needs you might have. There are people who our prayer teams would love to spend some time praying with you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you're not a walking disciple of his, up here to my right and your left, there'll be a person at this table up here who would love to uh, give you a free Bible and some free literature to help you begin to walk out the kingdom life. And can we stand and let's just close with this prayer. In fact, would you just, let's declare this. Uh, just say after me with passion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us brains. Help us, Lord, to use them for the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We right here and right now commit to training our brain to think about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. And we commit to walking in the commitment to put aside all that is false and base and wrong and impure and ugly and mediocre, and shameful, and untrue. Heavenly Father, help us get our minds out of the gutter and to fix our minds on Jesus Christ, starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go out and think kingdom thoughts. Amen. God bless you guys.